When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. You know what I mean? It just doesn't compute, you know? The law is the law. Peter, this is in our hands. I mean, it really is. People were there. We will continue to raise our voices. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Thanks to Kevin who brought this to our notice early this morning. We think that there might be a lot of parents with children between 16 and 18 who didn't get their child benefit yesterday because of the whole mix-up with schools. You know this way you have to get a form signed by the school so the child can continue to get the child benefit after they turn 16. You'll always get it once they're in full-time education. Because of the whole mess-up with schools and closures and all this, it, it doesn't seem to have happened for a lot of people this year. So we're getting reports that... A lot of parents with kids between 16 and 18 didn't get their didn't get their allowance for them yesterday. It's a problem you can solve. Just let us know if it has happened to you, though. 1850-715-996. Good morning. We see where the number of people in intensive care yesterday went up by two with 16 patients in there now. And a bit of an uptick in the numbers in hospital. Too. Small now. Small. Nothing like the numbers we were getting in January thankfully and nothing like we were getting during the first run and the second run of COVID but they're creeping up with 397 new cases of COVID in the country yesterday also come Friday I think I might be able to do the numbers again like we used to do uh, before the hack, before the HSE was hacked, we may be able to get at those numbers again. I must have a look later on. They're starting to trickle through the system again. So maybe by Friday, we'll have a more detailed look at Cork. But there's a lot of political toing and froing going on about the vaccine certs and whether or not the cert will be ready for uh, travel and whether or not the cert will be one you can also use to get into and out of the pub at a restaurant. And you can have the moral argument with that till the cows come home. You can argue about segregation. You can argue about 
it's making two types of society. You can argue that and go out and hold that nonsense at the moon. It's going to happen anyway because there's no other way to get businesses to open safely for now. But it's all been discussed in, in high political circles. And our man there is Adam Higgins, Irish Sun political correspondent. Morning, Adam. Morning, TJ. What is going on? Because time is short for them to get this stuff sorted. It is indeed. We have crunch talks happening tomorrow between um, government officials and the industry uh, leaders. So that's going to be one to watch where I believe we, we might see after that meeting the bones of what this plan is going to look like. Now, I mean, speaking for, to, to ministers and political sources yesterday, they said that all options are still on the table. So that's vaccine passes, that's antigen tested, PCR testing, that's opening up altogether with the with the old social distancing measures in place that we that we know so well. So all of these options are still on the table as they go into that meeting tomorrow. How concerned are they about the Boris Johnson's decision announced on Monday that effectively they're going for broke after the 19th? This is a big concern uh, for our government here, but also one that they are keen to watch. Some of your listeners might remember that uh, at the very start of the pandemic, Ireland was kind of about two or three weeks ahead of the UK. And some of the headlines you might see in, in our papers here kind of cropped up similar wise a couple of weeks later when the UK started to react to what we were doing. It's kind of the opposite way around now where they are about two weeks ahead of us in the pandemic. So the Delta, the wave is, is hitting them a little bit harder than it has us so far. And a lot of the ministers I speak to now are saying, look, we need to watch what happens there. We need to see how things go there, how they're... Cause the, from July, I think, 19th, they are ditching all of the social distancing measures, all of the masks, and, and they're basically opening back up to near enough pre-pandemic sort of uh, social mixing and that sort of stuff. And they want to watch how them cases rise, how quickly they rise, and not only that, but how does that rise in cases, which is kind of inevitable if they're going to open up like this, how that will impact hospitalizations and deaths. So that's something that our ministers and our decision makers here are, are very keen to watch. Mm. I think Leo Varadkar in particular is worried. Uh, he's quoted here as saying, if things go wrong in England, it'll have a spillover effect. Mm-hmm. That's that's something that, that is a concern here. And what he's talking about there is if there's a massive force in cases, we know there is still a lot of travel between Ireland and the UK. There was about 91,000 people travelled through Dublin last uh, week only, and the majority of those coming from the United Kingdom. So they're, they're concerned that that Delta wave will spike over there and result in a lot more Delta cases coming here to Ireland, which will, of course, make the wave more severe here. Now, how confident are they that the vaccine programme will get ahead of it? Because we've had a lot of ramping up in, in the last few days. We have, and that, this Delta wave is solely what that ramping up is about. I mean, you have seen um, recently every decision seems to be ma- being made very quickly and they're, they're jumping ahead of themselves. Like, for example, the 30 to 35 portal opens today. That wasn't supposed to open until Friday, but they're jumping ahead of it because they're worried about this Delta wave and they're in this big race to get people vaccinated before that wave really takes hold here because... They know that all of these vaccines are super effective against this variant once you've had the full inoculation, once you've had your two doses or your one dose in terms of Johnson & Johnson. Do we know anything more, Adam? Because this time yesterday, it looked a bit confusing. Digital passes arriving in the post. Can you shed any more light on that one for us? 
I can, I can. This is a kind of a hot topic. So Minister Ryan, the Transport Minister, Eamon Ryan, told us yesterday that these passes are going to start arriving in from July 12th. So next week, these, these are going to start arriving into any of your listeners now that are vaccinated will either get an email or they'll get a pass in the post. And both passes are the same. And you can, you can apply, like, I mean, if you get one in the post, that's likely that you've got your vaccination in a pharmacy or a GP. So your GP is sending them out in the post. And if you got one in a mass vaccination centre, you'll get it in, the, in your email. But you can get it both ways if you wanted, you know what I mean? And, and then do you scan pa- it into your phone or what do you do? Or can you carry will, a piece of paper around with you? That pass will contain a code, a QR code. It's like a little uh, barcode that will be scanned at airports by uh, border check and in some cases the Gardaí. And that will... In, on both sides of any country. So when you land or when you're coming into Ireland, they scan this code. That'll bring up your vaccination history when it comes to COVID-19. Um, if you're vaccinated and you go, that's that's how it's supposed to work. Now, we know they're, they're coming in from next week, but the government is also setting up a one-stop shop webpage for all the questions and answers on this. And they're also going to set up a, a 24-7 call centre. Now, that call centre is going to be important because, as a lot of your listeners will know, uh, you can still travel if you've not had the vaccine, but you've recovered from COVID-19. So if you've recovered from COVID-19 in the last, I think it's nine months, and you still want to travel, you'll be able to call this call centre. They they have a list there from the HSC of people who have recovered or who have information that they've recovered, and they will be able to issue you with a, with a cert. And lastly, Adam, and I know that the talks take place about hospitality tomorrow, is is there some talk that this might also be used in the hospitality sector after the 19th? Yes, I would say that's probably the favourite now. If you're, if you, if I was a bookie, that would be the favourite um, as regards to this reopening plan for indoor hospitality because they, this is a cert that that we, we've already been used across the EU. They've seen it working well, and we're, we're already issuing that to people here. So it's it's unlikely that they're going to drop a brand new, different vaccine pass that you can use in the pub, uh, so or or in a restaurant. And so what you're likely to see is this pass being extended to use for indoor hospitality. Now, as you raised at the start, there is questions about fairness on that, because if I don't want to get a vaccine, can I really, isn't it infringing on my civil liberties to deny me access to somewhere else? I I presume the Attorney General will cross all that stuff. There is, there's advice being on that, but even within the cabinet, as far as I'm aware, there is a division on that because one minister I spoke to yesterday said, and, and was keen to point out that, look, we need to have a fair and equitable system. And then the next minister I spoke to was saying, well, look, this is the way we're doing it for travel, so we can do it this way for indoor hospitality. And even if that means that, uh, you know, a tourist from France is able to get on a plane using a negative PCR test, for example, they won't be able to get into a pub and, and the minister I spoke to was, was said, well, look, this is the way it's going to be done. Like, you know, and hmm. so there is divisions when it comes to cabinet, but I think all eyes will be on that meeting tomorrow with the hospitality industry to see what they hmm. think will be able to, to work when it comes to reopening. Yeah. Initially, they wanted nothing to do with this kind of vaccine-related pass. They've softened on that, I think. They have softened a little, but they, they still say that it's, they believe it's going to be difficult and unworkable. And especially this um, self-policing issue that the government seems to be pushing, because I don't think the government wants to see Gardaí walking into restaurants and asking people to, you know, can I, can I see your, your vaccine pass and that sort of thing. And I don't think that's where we're going with this. So this self-policing thing would kind of be a soft-touch approach to it. Yeah. 
the idea that people I can't, I can't see the notion of guards stomping into pubs looking for vaccine passes it's got a, a touch of East Germany about it I couldn't couldn't see happening that happening Liston was on the phone Adam quickly to say uh, will the cert to ask will the cert be sent to you after your second dose or, or do you need to wait the two weeks before they issue to you that's a great question and one that I'm sure the call centre will be able to give you a 100% answer on. But from an official I was speaking to yesterday said these certs won't be issued until you're fully vaccinated after your two weeks. So until that vaccination is kicked in, because that's when like you're not fully vaccinated, you know, the day you get your second dose, you have to wait then, then two weeks. So as far as I'm aware... It'll be the two weeks after that you get your, your cert. All right. Listen, Adam, we'll talk again in the days as this develops. Thank you, as always, for being with us on The Opinion Line. Adam Higgins, political correspondent of the Irish Sun. If he was any closer to how this stuff works, he'd actually be sitting at the cabinet table. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. The Galleyhead Swim takes place on Saturday the 17th of July in aid of Marymount University Hospital and Hospice and West Cork Underwater Search and Rescue. The 10-kilometre swim will start from the Red Strand going around the Galleyhead and finishing on Warren Beach. Also swimmers taking part must be 18 years or over and more info can be found on galleyheadswim.com If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie Corks 96fm Yeah, just catching up with that it, it was uh, this thing with this uh, children's allowance or child benefit if you didn't get it yesterday you've got a youngster between 16 to 18 who's still in full-time education. Now it's something that it can be fixed but if you didn't, you're not the only one. There's a, a piece on the Facebook page of Irish single parents fight back uh, who say that usually uh, you have to get a form signed, quite correct, by the schools uh, to continue to receive child benefit. I remember when my kids were 16, I had to get that form signed so that uh, they could c- c- continue. Now, this year, parents weren't notified about that form. What has happened in previous years, because I know people who are caught up with this, is they got letters and of course the letter goes on top of the bread bin and something else goes on top of it and something else goes on top of that and before you know it the payment has stopped and you haven't had it signed. That isn't the case this year. They didn't get notice that the form needed to be completed and before anybody says sure you didn't, wouldn't you know that anyway you'd be amazed the number of people who don't know that anyway. But uh, if you didn't get a payment yesterday for your child between 16 and 18 who's still going to school, it can be sorted. It absolutely can be sorted. 1850-715-996. In the doll yesterday, and I think to the surprise of everyone sitting around her, I suppose she's got close friends in the houses of the Oireachtas who, who may have known this, but this was a moment that has made headlines today. I'm old enough to know that there are very few women my age who have not been subjected to some form of sexual assault in their respective lifetimes. And I know this because I'm one of them. It won't come as a surprise to those of us of a similar age who have suffered this trauma. And sometimes we have suffered it more than once. It was and is a lot more common than many believe. That's the voice of the Minister for State with Responsibility for Special Education and Inclusion, Josefa Madigan. And I suppose to all but her closest friends, it would have been a surprise 
to hear it. Mary Quillage with the Sexual Violence Centre. Mary, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. Morning. It's a very <clears throat> significant comment for a person in her position to make. Explain why. I think it's, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, for somebody in public life like that to say what is really happening, what the public out there know that one in five women or girls are raped in their lifetime, we know it. But for somebody to stand up there in a public arena and say, yes, it did happen, in really matter-of-fact kind of way, this is what Ireland is like, this is what the rest of the world is like, it is happening, we need to face up to it. I thought it was incredible, and I think it is going to make a huge difference even to, to the debate that there, that's going on, because she did put a human face to it. It wasn't the usual out there, you know, sexual violence centre would say this, or Dublin Ray Price would say this. She just came back to herself and said, this is what I'm saying. And I know many of my friends and many of my colleagues of a similar age would know people who this happened to or as it happened to them. I thought it was incredible and I think it would make a huge difference. Because you know, we won't change anything unless we all work together and that's everybody. You know, centres like ours, the government, politicians, people on the street, bystanders, I mean, people who know about the guys who are doing this. Because again, I think we're back to young men who are raping because, I mean, the one in five girls that get raped are not doing it to themselves. And a lot of these guys won't call it rape. They say, I had it offered her, she doesn't even remember. She was out of it or, you know, they have a bet on to see who can get into bed with who. And, you know, it really is forcing somebody into this rape. So I so welcome this. I think it's incredible. She went on to make a second comment, uh, which I also found quite significant. Here it is. And no doubt there's someone watching this speech live or reading it later, somewhere near to you at this very moment in time in a town, a public space, an office, a street or a home where some form of sexual assault or violation is taking place. And the Me Too movements, the Reclaim the Night movement after the Sarah Everard murder in London and the social media support for Sarah Grace after the brutal, savage attack she suffered in Dublin have highlighted even more so how vulnerable we can be as women. I think that statement in itself is made doubly powerful by what she'd said before. I think it is. I think she is normalising. She's saying it is happening. But I think she's also saying we can do something about it if we all work together. I think it, what she's really doing, what I really welcome is she's taking away the shame. Because why don't people talk about this young men and older men and young women and older women who've been raped? Because the shame is put on them. That it's their fault or they couldn't bear telling the family or to create kind of a ripple or to do all sorts of things. It's awful because, I mean, they have been raped. They've been abused as children or whatever. And they have to hide it in case it upsets somebody else or in case we say, well, you know, he didn't mean it at the time, leave it off. Sure, it happened to all of us. Um, sure, all grand. We need to stop that conversation and really look at the trauma and the mm. effect it's having on young men and young women who are raped. Because as I keep saying before, male rape is is not, it doesn't happen as often, but it does happen. It does indeed. Because you know, rape indeed. is about power and control. And we keep coming back to that kind of thing, I think we can understand it more, is not just a sexual act. It's like you highlighted for us there during COVID where people were saying to us, you probably weren't that busy because there's no young girls out and there's no pubs open as if that was what was causing rape. And the figures and the people were still coming in because they were being raped by friends, by colleagues, by flatmates, by people living in the same apartment block, by students. It continued because there's only a certain percentage of men doing this and they'll continue to do it because they like to get the power and control element of it. And behind closed doors, they could exercise that power and control in an even more sinister way. 
talking to you or me or anybody, they can be kind of the nicest in the world, you know. So it's not like an artist that they can't stop themselves, they decide to do it. So I think what she did yesterday was brilliant. And I really congratulate her and welcome her and thank her for doing this, for breaking the isolation for so many victims and survivors of sexual violence. All right, Mary, thank you very much for that. Mary Crilly from the Sexual Violence Centre here in Cork. Yesterday, remind us again what the minister said. She went into no detail. Uh, She didn't go any further than just using a half a dozen words. She said this. I'm old enough to know that there are very few women my age who have not been subjected to some form of sexual assault in their respective lifetimes. And I know this because I'm one of them. It won't come as a surprise to those of us of a similar age who have suffered this trauma. And sometimes we have suffered it more than once. It was and is a lot more common than many believe. She quoted from a song, a song I remember well from the 80s. You'll find it on Spotify if you go looking for it. Eurythmics, Sex Crime, 1984. It was, I think it might might well have been a number one song. But back then we kind of didn't listen to the lyrics. Those of us who were maybe playing it on the radio or playing it in discos and stuff like that, we didn't actually listen to the lyrics, but the lyrics were really powerful. If you, you'll find it on Spotify or YouTube. If you have a look and have a listen to that song, Eurythmics, Sex Crime 1984. And what it does is it casts our minds back, those of us who remember the 80s and the 90s. A lot of the stuff that we did in the 80s and the people of the 90s who were doing their socialising in the 90s and maybe the early noughties too, we thought it was harmless. It wasn't that harmless at all when you look back. 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Cork's 96FM's Select Irish. JC Stewart. Hey, I'm JC Stewart. Leah Hart. Hey, I'm Leah Hart. Can you play? Being a select Irish artist for the month really helped my song Older reach multiple new listeners. Isaac Butler. Hey, I'm Isaac Butler. And I wish I could change the past. Sophie Doyle Ryder. Hi, I'm Sophie Doyle Ryder. They're all select Irish artists. Select Irish on Cork's 96FM. It's a great platform for me to showcase my music on Irish radio. And you could be next. If you think you've got what it takes to be our featured artist, check out 96fm.ie forward slash select Irish. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Coming up in just a while, I want to know, have you got your car insurance renewal letter yet? It happens all the time. People get them every day. Has your policy started to go down any bit? It should have, particularly if you didn't make a claim in recent times. It should have because personal injury claims are starting to plummet after changes to the system earlier this year. So if anyone got a car insurance renewal and particularly has had a clean and healthy year's driving uh, and it didn't go down, in fact, if it went up, I'd like to hear from you. we look into that one in a wee while. Last week on the programme, we were talking to Lisa Lingan. She had done a uh, fundraiser for the Cork City Missing Persons Group, the Search and Rescue Group. 
to try to get them a permanent base and to try to raise money for them for equipment and training and stuff like that. And we talked in that conversation about how they were the very people uh, whose training exercise in Crosshaven inadvertently led to the discovery of Barry Collins' body. Uh, that's, you know, that's the kind of intensive training that these lads do and they, they get equipment and they fund it themselves and they raise as much money as they can themselves. But they still have no place of their own. They still have no base. They've got a van, uh, one of these Ranger-type SUV things that they drive around. Looks well, too. But they have no place to call their own. They have no place to keep their gear. And Lisa was raising money in the hope and putting out the appeal that somebody, somewhere might find them a space. Well, Katrina Toomey from Cork Penny Dinners has joined that campaign. Katrina, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Of course, you'd come into contact with the lads, wouldn't you? Yes, and I suppose years ago, I would have known of them, obviously, because of the work they were doing. But one morning I was on my way into Penny Dinners and it was a freezing cold morning. It was about 7, 7 a.m. And I, I was just going over the North Gate Bridge and there were the lads on the river. And about three hours later, I was going down, we were collecting some stuff, and they were still on the river, going up and down. And I just said, oh, you know, I, I said, it looked so sad and worrying to see it. And then, you know, it brought me back to what pain some family must be in, because the lads were on the river. And, um, uh, you know, we, we kind of got in contact with each other then, and for years we've had a fantastic relationship, because first and foremost, the brilliant opinion dinners, they deliver our hampers and at Christmas they're on hand and they're all there with their Jeeps and their van and doing mm. everything that they can for us. But <clears throat> we see the work that they do, obviously, because we chat to each other, we talk to each other and we see the closure it brings to to families that are suffering. And we've had kind of in penny dinners, we've had first hand knowledge of that how dedicated they are, how quick they are, how they get out there, and and they do it. So we're aware of where their their building is, you know, down the marina. It's only a shed. It's not even, you couldn't even call it a building. Yeah. But could you imagine not having some place to go to the, to the bathroom when you're out on a search like this? And we have to bear in mind that every other kind of search and recovery has a fantastic base. Yeah. And we're here in Cork City and county, and of course they service all of Ireland as well. They're up and down the road, like, you know, whenever they're needed. But we have to bear in mind what we have with these lads. We have an experienced, skilled team of volunteers that go out and help bring closure to families who are missing loved ones. They help save people, rescue people. They're always out doing something you know, and what it does is it helps families that that are, as I said, again, suffering because mm. it's awful when somebody goes missing. I think, Katrina, the biggest uh, and most public example of that, and it was something that they weren't even looking for at the time, there they are testing and practicing with their yes, new equipment. Their equipment. And yes. inadvertently, they, don't, they, they, they discover the last resting place of Barry Collin. Wasn't that just... You know, just for that family, like, you know, I, I suppose it, it, it's it's brought them, it, it's brought Barry back to them, yeah. you know, which is the... Well, I know they didn't set wants. out to find him that day, but they were still you know, practising, trying to be the best were, at what they do. Always. And that's another thing that they do. It doesn't just stop, like, when the search starts and stops. It doesn't just stop for them. They're always upskilling 
but they're looking at cold cases now for a lot of people, which is very, very important as well because the lads have the skill, the experience. They're, you know, gathering more and more equipment, mm. but they do not have a base. And that's the sad thing about it. And So how do we go about getting them one, Katrina? How can we move mountains to get them somewhere? Well, there's two ways. One is Cork City Council take them on board for what they are. They're an asset to any city, and any city in this country will be proud to have these lads as part of what their city rolls out as part of our essential services. And, you know, so I think that maybe we could look at that. There's a building done by the Bridewell, which is... You know, a building has to be near the river, obviously, for the lads, you know, not to delay in time to be located quite near so that they have easy access to the river and they don't delay time. And because time is of the essence and all of this. So there is a building, if you might remember, PJ, between the Bridewell and where Coon Lee is, there used to be a builder's hardware shop in there. There was, there was. There's a fine building in there. Is that empty still? It's still empty still empty and there's a place down in Albert Quay that would be very suitable as well and these belong to City Council and again City Council would be getting something you know they'd be getting a top class service as part of their portfolio so to speak and if that doesn't work the second thing is somebody might come along and identify a building that's for sale at some reasonable price because of the work that the lads do and that the city of Cork and County Cork and all over just rally round and get that building for them because they are needed. Here's a third and idea. Needed no more than ever. Here's a third and idea. If you found yeah. somewhere for them, if say the council ha- had a place, but the council wanted rent, then some parts of the business sector might come together and Absolutely. give them the rent. Absolutely. That might happen because the lads, if they have a place, they could, one, it will be for the families to go to because, you know, people probably want to sit in private and talk to the lads and ask them how did they find their loved one. You know, doing that in the street is very undignified and hard for the lads, but very hard for the families as well. So a place where they could sit with the families and the families could ask any questions that they that they need answered is, is vital. But... Even if, I know the business community will come round because the business community know firsthand as, as well, you know, how vital the service is. Everybody in Cork knows that the lads are loved the length and breadth of the country, not alone just Cork. So we, we're all behind them. And again, as I say, I've seen them out in the cold, the wind, the rain, the long hours, they're tired, you know, they're, they're working men and, 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 Sometimes I think they run their shifts around stuff and, and, and mm. maybe, you know, their workplaces are... They all have, they all have jobs and families and lives yeah. outside of this, yeah. Yeah, and the families are fully behind them. They wouldn't be able to do this work unless their families were behind them. And they they are, they're very, very supportive. And um, again, the cold cases need to be looked at and these lads are taking this on now. So this, again, oh. you know, will, will help bring closure okay. because... You know, they are they are good. And PJ, you know, the thing about it is, if in anybody's life something like this happens in, in, in their family, they're needed, and they're needed so badly, and they're there on hand. And everybody has the highest regard and respect from them, from the Gardaí, the other search and recovery groups that are out there in the country. 
you know, the divers, the Navy divers, the whole lot, they have the highest respect for the dedication and for the experience these lads have and for all the upskilling and training that they're doing. Okay, Katrina, with your voice behind it, I can see it being solved for them. Thank you very much. Katrina Toomey for Cork Penny Dinners, trying to help find a premises, a permanent place, a permanent base, a home, if you want, for the Cork City Missing Persons Search and Recovery. Come on, council. Come on, business. Come on, property owners. Let's get them a place where they can base themselves for the incredible work that they do. They don't take a penny for it. They don't ask a penny for it. Every penny they make goes into being better at what they do. They need a place to do it from. If anybody can help, we'll happily channel it through. 1850 715 996. Couple of, yeah, I mentioned the car insurance. It's a joke. Mine has just gone up 160. What I'm saying is people who might have got insurance letters this week or maybe this month or are expecting one this month or next month and you've had a clean year or a couple of clean years driving, there's no good reason, it would seem, that yours shouldn't go down. Charlie Weston from The Independent will be on in a while explaining exactly why. There's no reason why it shouldn't go down if it hasn't gone down, uh, then it's about time for them to explain why. We'll have Charlie on with us in a wee while. Dear was on, I got the form for child benefit for my 16-year-old back in March and the school filled it out. Good, Deirdre, good. To be fair, some people would have got the form, right? And these things happen. I know people it's happened to. It could just as easily have happened in my house long ago if... We hadn't been diligent and watching it and staple it practically to the fridge because it'll happen. That form gets put on the bread bin or it gets put over in the corner and something gets put on top of it. Before you know it, there's a there's a, a, a child's toy on top of it. You move the toy, you inadvertently move the paperwork underneath the toy and before you know it, the letter has been forgotten. It happens, but dear, dear yeah, they, they were giving them out. Uh, you got it, but maybe not everybody did. 1850-715-996 on the sexual assaults issue. I just want to drop a thought into this. A lady talked about the need to open up and reframe the conversation. This is Mary Crilly. I would put it that there are as many male victims of sex crimes as there are women, but it's so unacceptable to speak about it that all of the victims are hidden. I really do think it's time the world put a bit of effort into reframing this debate and giving confidence to male victims of sex crimes to come forward. I'd also feel the ability of an offender to do good work, which can be taken into account in sentencing uh, while awaiting the court, should be scrapped. It's too late when you're caught. This is the way you'll get some hand-wringing member of the legal profession standing up and say, oh, judge, he's very sorry, and he's done a lot of good work while reforming his life. I agree with you totally on that one. The good work that he's done in reforming his life matters not a curse to the person whose life he destroyed. I asked you about your motor insurance. Uh, one or two people telling us that they got their letters and there's either no change. Well, no change is all right. They're going up. One person saying going up by 160. Certainly they don't look like they're starting to go down. Now, there's been a change in the way payouts are managed. A thing called the book of quantum and it means that payouts for personal injuries claims are gone down by 
almost 50%. Now, these rules came in in April and the premiums should be changing for next year because insurance companies plan on new risk for the year ahead, not on the risk for the year just gone. So we're getting contacted already this morning by people whose insurance has not moved at all or in the case of the one person we've heard from with an actual figure in it, it's gone up uh, by €160. Charlie Weston, personal finance editor with the Irish Independent. Charlie, would you just explain? I've been trying to do it in a ham-fisted way. But explain for listeners, Charlie, if you could, what has changed, which means that if they've been driving well for the last year, their premium should begin to go down. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, um, you know, there should be good news on motor insurance. Uh, We had a massive... A huge thing happened really in April. The judges agreed uh, that uh, the, the, the guidelines they would use when they were handing out settlements and awards for personal injuries cases, that, that they would cut those uh, the level of awards by 50%. Now, that's an enormous cut in the cost for insurers. So the insurers are saving hand over fist here because they work a year in advance. I mean, they, they project the number of claims they're going to have and the likely cost of those. So if, so if they're seeing the cost of the claims they're going to have to deal with being cut by anything up to 50%, that should translate into a better value premium for us. We should be seeing that as consumers. The driver should be seeing that when the, it comes to renewal time. And, and certainly that's what the Tarnish and Leo Faradkar was saying yesterday. Look, at we, we brought in uh, measures to reduce the uh, award levels. They're now being used by the state's uh, assessment board, the Personal Injuries Assessment Board, and, you know, that, that, that should now reflect in your, in your premium. But, you know, I, I, I'm struggling to find anybody. To, 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 very few people are telling me that their premiums have gone down. Already I've had not. one person me- messaging that theirs has gone up 160. Yeah, I'm hearing that a fair bit, PJ. Like, I was on to the Consumers Association. Uh, Sinn Féin's Pierce Doherty did a survey on this. And I was also on to the Alliance for Insurance Reform and saying, look, at, is there, are we seeing any evidence of... Motor and other insurance, business insurance. Is there any evidence coming through that the, mm. the insurers are dropping the, the, the premium levels? And it, 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 it's scarce at the moment. Now, it's early days, obviously, yeah. to be fair. To it only them. happened in it April. Could, but you, 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 one, would one expect to change this quickly? It's only July. Uh, you would, because they, they tend to operate a year in advance. So if they're reinsuring you this month, say, and they did say to the Minister for, for Responsibility for Insurance, Sean Fleming, they did say from about June that start cutting the, the, the mm. premiums. You know, they project forward. I mean, if they're insuring you now, they're saying to themselves, well, look, if he has a, he has a claim, the likely cost of, of dealing with it will be less. It'll be 50% less, probably. So we can afford to insure him for, for less money. Mm. We can cut his premium. But we're not seeing it, PJ. We're just not seeing it. And yeah. uh, this has led to a lot of anger. Look, what are you at, insurance companies? Are you guys just going to pocket the difference here? Are you going to just make off like bandits and leave the rest of us? to suffer the consequences of high insurance in this country. The only one negative, and maybe it is a negative, maybe it isn't, and perhaps you could reassure me on this, PIAB, the Personal Injuries Board, has taken this on board. Will that not mean that people will just reject PIAB's findings and trot up into the courts to try to get more money? That's what's been going on for years. I mean, you have to, if you have a person, minor person injuries claim, you have to go through PIAB and they have to, you know, they, they will try and offer you a settlement. If you reject it, you're right, you go to the courts. But if the judges are now offering, I mean, the judges themselves agree, have agreed that they'll cut what, they're, what the payouts are going to be by 50%. If, the, if, if you know, PIAB offer you 10 grand 
and you know that's as much as they think it's worth and and you decide to take that to court then but you know the judges are going to offer you half of what they might have offered you two months ago well you know you're, you're probably not going to take it to the, to, to, to a court and, and go through the expense of that because yeah. if especially if you go to the circuit court I mean the expenses are usually huge in the personal use cases can yeah. be 15 grand in legal fees yeah. so people will think twice and that's the whole theory that's how it should work and that's you know, so so there's a suspicion here that the insurance companies are, as usual, dragging their heels on this, and they should be brought to book by the by the by the government because uh, they really they they're running out of excuses here. They're running out of road if they excuse the pun. You know, when yeah. it comes to motor insurance cuts here, briefly, they Charlie, really, are, are we anywhere closer? Because this came up on the program a couple of weeks ago. Like the benefits of the European Union ought to have been that I can avail of a good or a service in any one of the 27 member states. So. Where are we with me buying my car insurance in, for argument's sake, Italy? Yeah, well, there is moves in the European Union constantly. They're trying to integrate the, the market. But insurers usually like to have a base here and, you know, they assess each market differently. So if you're buying your insurance in Spain, payouts, if you have an accident, are probably going to be lower. So they can offer you a premium that reflects that. But if you're, if, you know, if your Spanish company is offering you insurance here, they have to charge you more because more tends to do what has been up to now being paid out. So you, it's very hard to have an integrated all European market when, you know, the, the systems are different in each country and the, the levels of the payouts okay. are different in each country. So, I mean, that's the main determining factor. Okay. But look, at hopefully, PJ, hopefully, uh, you know, given a bit more time, the premiums will come down. That's, okay. that's what we've got to keep our fingers crossed on. It's one we'll certainly keep an eye on. Thank you, as always, for being with us. Charlie Weston, personal finance editor of The Independent. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. One little bit of sports news that might have gone unnoticed in the midst of the Euros and Wimbledon and all the ga and all that is a young man called Aaron Drynan has signed for a club that as many listeners to 96FM will know for years I've had a a warm affection shall we say for Leighton Orient I've travelled there more than once for match I've had a great time I've met the team met the managers it's a great place it's a great crack I've actually <laughs> have done reports on a promotion relegation playoff for the sports preferred Trevor's actually program here at one stage. I've had this kind of long time affection for late Orient. Aaron Drynan from Carrigaline who has spent a few years with Ipswich Town he's been there since 2018 before that he was a Cork City player at one stage but he has now signed to play in the new season with Leighton Orient. We'll have to keep an eye on that young man over the next few months. 1850 We have two... Nick, thank you, Nick. We have two cars. Both policies have come down by about €150. That's good to see. On the search and rescue lads, Councillor Mick Nugent has said he visited them recently and is going to raise the issue in the in the council chamber. And we were getting some responses to Mary Crilly and to in the announcement, I suppose, of the 
speech made yesterday by Josepha Mandigan in the Doyle, which, as Mary Crilly said, is, is something of a game changer in allowing people to stand up and talk openly about what happened to them. I agree there are many male victims, especially young boys. We need to talk about it, but not just on the radio. Radio is a good start, but we have to talk about it at government level and make changes. And indeed, thank you for all your messages this morning. This particular story seems to have been uh, very personal to you, and thank you for sharing your messages with us. 1850 my, my My father-in-law used to have a saying, when you'd be out for a, a bite to eat or a, or a drink or whatever, uh, and you know the way you'd be overseas and you'd be looking to call the waiter's attention for another point or a few chips or to get your bill or whatever like that and if the place was busy and you, you couldn't you couldn't call the waiter down Eddie would say you know <laughs> stand up and go away and they won't be long coming down and he was right but it would appear that since we went for the outdoor dining experience and the outdoor drinking experience in Cork over the last couple of weeks there's been an unfortunately high number of walkaways it's a small percentage but when you have to spend in a few bob and you walk away, it's a problem. Michael O'Donovan from VFI. Michael, good morning. Morning, PJ. Now, some people may just forget, I suppose. Absolutely. Look, some people, it's a genuine mistake. Other people, I suppose, look, they're watching and when, uh, under the current skies with uh, outdoor service, you know, the waiters, waitresses have to go into the bar, into the kitchen to collect uh, the food or the drinks. And some are using it, you know, to... So I suppose leave, um, and it's it's an unfortunate consequence of what's happening at the mo- of you know where we are at the moment. But look, businesses really need all the support they can get because um, you know the cost of doing this outdoor uh, service is high. Um, you know it takes extra bodies, um, and you know you've your kitchen brigade in your kitchen if you've a kitchen. So the overheads are quite high. So look, we just plead with people, please, please, um, you know, if you're receiving the service and receiving the goods, please just pay for your goods. It, as you said, it's a very, very small percentage, but uh, I suppose last week I got a couple of calls from people saying that it was uh, happening, and uh, again over the weekend it, it's happened. So look, we just like it, I suppose, if it could be eradicated at the moment because businesses just need all the support that they can get. Now, to be fair, Michael, uh, indoor or out there, it's, it's a mistake I made myself you know, you'd, have, you'd finish the sandwich, drain the pint, and up with you, and out. Oh, God, I forgot to pay. Yeah, look, there's, there's, look, it genuinely it happens. And, like, look, I was open last September, and I suppose something we've seen um, increase during, you know, the pandemic while we're opening is people sit at tables, they run tabs. And especially if there's three or four at the table, I might think you might have paid, you might think yeah. I might have paid. It's a genuine uh, mistake and look uh, it happened to me as I said last September the following day I got a phone call and obviously one person had thanked the other person for the drinks the night before and they realised they hadn't paid and they phoned me back and you know those kind of things get rectified mm. but it's just where we are at the moment there are uh, as I said a very small percentage that are seeing this as an opportunity and look we'd just like to say to ask and plead really if you're getting the service um, to look just to honour it and pay for it at the moment because businesses need to support. People, people are running tabs, Michael. Is there any? I don't suppose anyone anyone wants to go down this road. But is it possible to take, say, a credit card swipe and put a credit card on the table just in case this should happen? Or is that where you you don't want to be there? <laughs> 
Oh, look, PJ, we, we don't want to be there. You know, the customers are good enough to come in and, I suppose, support the business. Um, and look, there is a measure of good faith in it. Uh, it's always been there, you know, that people place the order, they get their, their, their service, and then they pay for it after. You know, that's what we'd like to see continue. That's the, the tradition of it. So, like, uh, you know, many of us would be traditionalists in that, and we'd like to see that uh, continued. But look, if, if this uh, starts growing and... Um, I suppose if it becomes uh, a bigger issue, uh, yes, look, we would have to look at, uh, at different aspects of it. But here and now, we, we're just making the pleas, pleas mm. uh, for people to, um, as I said, to, to, to stop this practice because um, it is, look, getting uh, to be a concern, even though, it's, as I keep saying, it's a small percentage, but mm. we would like to see it stopped. All right, Michael, leave it there. Thank you, Michael O'Donovan from the Cork City and County VFI. Yeah, now there is a possible legal issue, I suppose, with taking an imprint of a card or taking a swipe of a card because if a person has drink on board, they can't enter a, a legally binding contract and you do have to point that out but the idea that you would run up a, a tab of a hundred or more quid and then just walk away that's that's scutting is what that is you might forget you might forget but will four of you forget you might forget if you're on your own you might well forget if you're on your own you head on oh Christ I need to pay it's happened to me but well there's three or four of you there would one of you not say, come here, we better pay here? 1850-715-996. The pubs are struggling enough without that kind of carry-on, aren't they? Name and shame the insurance companies that haven't dropped their prices. Naming and shaming is a lot easier said than done, my friend. But we shall see where it goes. We're getting more people contacting us with their quotes. 1850-715-996. Do you remember... Last week, on Friday, and I've replayed it a couple of times, not because I want him to fail, I actually want this to succeed, of probably every element of the new vaccination plan. I want this one to succeed more than anything. Because contained in this particular cohort are people who are immunosuppressed, people who are immunocompromised, people who are in their 60s, who are vulnerable to COVID. Younger, healthier people are not as vulnerable to COVID, but these people are very vulnerable to COVID. And we've got a crazy situation in the country now where almost two-thirds as many in their 50s have had their second vax as those in their 60s. There's a huge discrepancy. And last Friday morning on Morning Ireland, RTE, Stephen Donnelly, in announcing the whole ramping up of the system, said clearly that he would address that and address it quickly. In about the next 10 or 11 days, everyone who has had their first dose of AstraZeneca, if they haven't already have, had it, will, will have their second dose of AstraZeneca. So approximately 12th of July, you hope, them have to, uh, hope to have them all done. The, the original target was the 19th. That's right. It? Yeah, we're, mo- we're, we're, we're moving it forward. And again, we can do this because the NIAC advice has changed. There might be a problem next. Can we just talk? 
the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Now, Michael Deneen is in a position to know a bit more about the inner workings of the HSE than the average man in the street because Michael is a retired uh, union official with the INMO. Michael, good morning. Good morning, PJ. You're in this cohort of, of the 60s, both yourself and your wife, I think. That's correct. Uh, people I term as being the forgotten people. What's happening at the moment? Well, one that anyone that's been in that cohort would have to be very concerned at the moment because there would appear to be a number of difficulties arising to the, with, with regard to the rollout of the vaccine to that group. Um, there seems to be an inconsistency in relation to the methodology deployed for selecting people in that I'm aware of situations where people who were um, vaccinated together for the first jab, one member would have been contacted to be informed that they had a date for their second jab and the second member of, would, would not have received it. When they contact the HSE helpline, they're informed that, yes, you, ha- uh, you have been given an interview, but they've never received a text advising them of the date of the interview. By now, appointment, I presume you yeah, mean. Yeah, by appointment, yeah. Now, I'm aware of three instances in my immediate circle where that has occurred uh, amongst couples, where one received the appointment and the second didn't receive it and they were concerned at the fact that they hadn't received it when they contacted the helpline. They were advised, well, there is an appointment there for you, but they were never advised of that. So that begs the question, how would they be categorised? Would they they be seen as not attending um, by virtue of the fact that they were not informed? When one rings the helpline, seek to establish if an appointment has been made for them, the only information that they will be given is they will be advised that yes, it has been made or no, it hasn't and it will be uh, given to you within a 12-week period. So they won't tell you when? No, no. If an appointment has not been definitively made for you they will not tell you when. But a a more worrying aspect of that is, even if it's apparent to you that there has been an administrative error or that you've fallen between the cracks there's no capacity for you to progress that concern until 12 weeks has elapsed. Explain that to me now, Michael. Well, well say, let's say, for, in my instance, it's nine weeks Sunday since I got uh, my first uh, injection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the government have put particular emphasis on the fact that the duration is between four, eight and 12 weeks. Mm. When you contact the helpline and say, well, I'm aware that my spouse who was... Uh, got the injection a day after me has now received a date. Uh, if a date, if there isn't a date within the system for you at that point in time, the person taking the call cannot con- uh, uh, progress your concerns. So they're still happens. operating. If I'm in, if I'm understanding you properly, Michael, help me if I'm not. Even though Nyack and the minister have said we're now going to give out the second dose after four weeks of AstraZeneca. The, the call centre is still operating on the 12-week standard, is that absolutely, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So there's no facility for you as a 60 to 69-year-old awaiting your vaccine to progress your concerns. Uh, if, you, if you know or you believe, well, an error has occurred here because the sequence doesn't seem to be correct. Let's say, for argument's sake, one is 67 years of age and you're aware that a friend or a, a relative of 60 has a date, and you say, how could that be? Because the sequencing previously has been on the basis of the eldest first and the youngest within a cohort last. That seems to be, have been abandoned in this instance. And I rang the helpline and queried that and asked them as to what the methodology and the sequencing was for selecting people. 
And the response I got was less than satisfactory because it would appear to me that it was, in many instances it was random. Now, my concern around that is that there are two issues, really. The first one is if you were one of the people that didn't receive a text advising them that they had an appointment mm-hmm. uh, and the, the caller acknowledged that they're aware of those difficulties, well, you will be categorised as a, as a DNA. A no-show, yeah? Yeah, as a no-show. Secondly, if you believe, because the sequencing seems incorrect, that there's no facility for you within the system to progress your grievance and to challenge it until 12 weeks has elapsed. Now, if you look at the consequences of that, that would mean that potentially... Take, take, I'll take my own example. I got my first uh, job on the 9th of May. Mm. Uh, that would mean that I could not progress any concerns I have through the system until the 2nd of August. That would be week 13 from the date of my first job. But if we were to listen to what Stephen Donnelly was saying the other morning, you should be, able to, you should be getting called now. Well, you, you would, I, would, I would have thought I should have got a date by now. Um, my wife originally was vaccinated the day after me. She's been given a date for Friday week. I've yet to receive a date. And I'm not alone in that. There are a considerable number of my friends in my circle who find themselves in a similar situation. As I say, I'm aware of three people where one spouse got a date, and even though they would have both got it uh, originally on the same date, the second person was not informed. But when they rang the helpline, mm. they were told, oh, yes, there's an appointment for you, but they had not been informed by text uh, as to that fact. No, Michael, you and I know each other a long time. I'm assuming you're in pretty decent health, but it's still a worrying time. Well, it's very worrying because it's acknowledged by all the professionals that the, this group are vulnerable. And uh, people like Kingston Mills have said from the outset that the 60, 69-year-olds should have been inoculated a lot more quickly than they currently are. And to compound that situation, those within that cohort have not been given any other choice other than the AstraZeneca. And I know that NIAC considered the aspect of mixing the vaccine, mm. but have kicked it down the road and have not made a definitive decision. Yeah, despite the aforementioned, you said Kingston Mills, who yeah. we've spoken, in fact, spoke about it here, Liam Fanning at UCC, uh, Sam McConkey at the Royal College of Surgeons. There's a queue of experts now saying, come on, let's do that. And Angela Merkel got her second dose as a Pfizer after her first dose with AstraZeneca. So it's happening. Well, I was just going to make that point in relation to Angela Merkel. It is happening, and the regulator within the UK has acknowledged that the efficacy is greater if you mix the vaccines. So, But unfortunately, that advice has not been taken on board by NIAC and they've kicked it down the road from, for the 60 to 69 mm. age group. But at the same time, they've acknowledged that those between 50 and 59 can mix the vaccine. So there seems to be mixed messages there. And to be quite frank with you, PJ, there's an awful lot of padding and an awful lot of massaging of numbers here. Because what concerns me, that what seems, the imperative seems to be now, let's be seen to have vaccinated as many people as possible, regardless of the consequences and the efficacy. But furthermore, it is very troubling that people may be sitting at home today uh, wondering why they haven't got an appointment, but the system has shown that they've been given an appointment, but they have not been contacted by the HSE. And surely, if that awareness exists within the HSE, the remedy is for the text to be sent out again. So to ensure that that maybe if you miss someone the first time round, mm. the possibility is that you you'll get them the second time. I was I was vaccinated through my GP, so I don't have experience of using the text. But 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 do do you when you get the text, do you acknowledge its receipt and confirm, or do you just turn you up? You, if if you can't attend, you just text text that you can.
can't attend. Otherwise, the presumption is that you have, you've received it and you're going to turn up. So in this instance, if you don't receive it and you just don't show, uh, the only conclusion that can be taken by those within, within the vaccination centres is that you've not bothered attending. Okay. There are, there are faults in the system and I think, Michael, as I said, you, 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 know, you know the system better than most, having worked with it for years. Is it possible to fulfil the deadline that Stephen Donnelly has given himself? It's very difficult to see how it could happen because, I mean, I know that the HSE have been quoting figures of 126,000 outstanding within the 60-69 cohort at this point in time. I would think it's considerably more, given my own personal experience from my own friends and colleagues and family members who are still awaiting a date. And I, I know it's been suggested it'll be the, 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 the date for achieving rollout of a vaccine to that group was the 19th of July. But I think that's going to be extremely challenging at this point in time. All right, Michael, thank you. Stay well. And my regards to, to your better half. Uh, that's Michael Deneen, retired union official with the Irish Nurses and Midwives Association, stuck in that cohort of people who still haven't had their second jab. And because he knows how the system works, he says it's flawed. It's very flawed. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. For nearly 20 years, John Spillane has performed the first Thursday of the month at the Barras in Clonakilty and managed to continue his legendary residency even through lockdown. This Thursday, July 8th, will be John's first live show at the Barras with a reduced capacity audience with tickets for the show on sale now. Access all areas. Orla Gartland has announced her debut album Woman on the Internet due for release on August 20th and the album tour with Cypress Avenue date is coming up in December. Tickets are now on sale from the venue's website. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition or any live streaming events coming up in Cork by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. 
A couple of people who have vaccine experiences are calling us. Some of them are good, some of them not so good. I had to bring the young fella for his second dose yesterday and I must comment on how brilliant they are inside City Hall. But before we do that, we know that the number of cases are shooting up. The real fear now is that by the 19th of July, July, sorry, Monday week, we'd be up to nearly a thousand a day. And of course, with that, even if they're mild, even if people are only marginally unwell, they still have to stay home. They still have to isolate and they may not be able to go to work. And people will be worried that they can't go to work and bosses will be worried that they'll be left without staff. Uh, Clodagh O'Donovan is a HR advisor. Uh, Clodagh, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. With cases creeping up, that will be a worry for employers. Will I have staff? Absolutely. Um, And there's, you know, it's very difficult to tell what's going to happen over the next coming weeks. The uh, what we're seeing coming regarding the case numbers increasing um, is going to impact on businesses. Um, And I suppose really what they need to be thinking about is, well, who who do I absolutely need to have? Um, What can I put in place to try and keep the business running if I have a number of staff that are unwell and are um, displaying COVID symptoms? Mm. I mean, if someone is just coughing and spluttering a little bit and feels perfectly well enough to work from home, should they be allowed to work from home? I think so, PJ. Um, As long as they're self-isolating and they're following the government health guidelines, then there's no reason why they, they, and if they feel themselves that they're able, there's no reason why they they shouldn't just continue to work from home. Have we we learned anything about work practices and illness practices, as it were, uh, from the pandemic? Anything that we can look back on the 16th of 16 months and say, well, we weren't doing that right, we'll do this right instead? Well, I think one of the biggest learnings here is that people are well able to work from home um, and that they can very they can work very effectively from home. And I'm not sure this was something that a lot of employers were convinced of before mm. the pandemic um, arrived and, and people just had to turn on their, their laptops at home and keep things going. And I think that would be the biggest, the biggest learning. And, you know, people don't need to be micromanaged. People are well able to manage their time effectively. They're well able to produce the results that they need to produce, regardless of whether they're sitting there in front of you, whether they're in a, in a working hub, whether they're at home. Mm. The worry of someone who won't get looked after, as it well, where they're sick, won't get sick pay, Mm. They're, and, and if they are just mildly unwell, the worry is they'll go into work and then you've got a real problem on your hands. Well, this is very true and it's, it's really up to the employers to encourage people. If you are not well, you, you must stay at home. Um, and I can understand that people are under huge amount of pressure from a financial point of view and they don't want to be um, unpaid while they're out sick. And the government are looking at legislation and they're looking to introduce some minimum sick pay entitlement for mm-hmm. employees. And it's going to take a number Was there not, I may have forgotten this, was there not an arrangement at the start of the pandemic that if you were confirmed as having COVID, 
and you had to go home and isolate, you got sick pay automatically and it was a, a higher rate. Is that still there? That's right. So during the um, initial stages of lockdown, the government had um, the, um, the the wait the, the waiting period for no for illness benefits, yeah. um, and people who were certified unwell due to COVID were able to apply for that benefit so that they could continue to be paid, um, and and that's in place there at the moment. It's still there. And still there, but obviously people will be worried about increasing cases, increasing numbers of people out. Uh, so, realistically, I suppose uh, the the bosses of of Ireland need to be preparing for the Delta wave. They do, they do, absolutely, PJ. They they just need to look and see what who they have and what they need in order to continue to to carry on their business. If they have a number of people who are unwell, um, they need to be able to support those people as well. They're going to be worried. They're going to be worried about their financial. They're going to be worried about their mental health, their well-being. All of those things are going to come into play here. Um, And it's very difficult to, I suppose, predict what it's going to look like. Mm. But we have an awareness that things are going to get a little bit worse from the point of view of case numbers, etc., and now is the time to be thinking about that and seeing what you can put in place. Make sure that employees who are well enough to continue working but cannot come into the workplace, make sure they're set up adequately at home so that they mm. can continue to work at home. Is there a role here for workers, trade unions, if they are unionised, to, to be cutting deals with, with management to say, here's what's going to happen if someone has to go and, and isolate themselves? Well, I suppose it depends on the, the, the different trade union representatives and if they want to have those conversations. I can't see that they would do any harm. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always good to get a discussion going and see what kind of options are there that people can avail of. Okay. Listen, Clodagh, thank you very much. Clodagh O'Donovan from Advance HR. 1850-715-996. We know that a lot of people are going to get COVID-19 over the next six, eight, ten weeks. We know. We also know that hopefully most of them will only be very mildly incapacitated. In fact, possibly not at all. But we also know that even if you are mildly incapacitated, if you're just coughing and spluttering and feeling a bit off, we know you have to take yourself out of circulation for a few days at least. You have to. This is the only way we'll, until such time as you're actually, if you're not vaccinated, that is, of course. So we need to be preparing for that. Just some calls on vaccines. I had my first jab at the start of May. It was AstraZeneca. I'm 63. I'm getting the second one tomorrow. They do seem to be pushing them forward, but the helpline is completely dysfunctional. That from Jer. On the phone, what about people like me who've had one jab from the GP and he's after pushing me off to the HSE scheme for the second? They've called me now and offered me the Johnson & Johnson twice. I'm worried that I'm falling through the gaps. Or even that when I refuse the Johnson & Johnson and explain why, they're counting it as refusals and I'll be banned now if I do it again. That's a cock-up if you got... So, although if you got a Pfizer, that's confusing. Because I know that... I took the own fella down to the City Hall yesterday for his second dose of Pfizer. He got the first one through his daycare centre. And the second one then, they 
brought him into City Hall and I could not speak more highly of that system. It runs like clockwork in there. It is brilliant. Uh, you cannot say enough for the way people are being waved through efficiently and kindly and helpfully by everybody down there. Uh, and I hope they're listening because uh, he really had an easy experience there yesterday and I was very, very impressed. But this idea that you'd be sent back into the system from your doctor give you your first dose and then they don't seem to even know what you got. When you go for your second one, there's a problem. Hazel got my first in March, got a date for the second one at that first appointment. A lot of people did, Hazel, yeah. My husband got the first one end of April. I got mine the 4th of May. Both got second on Saturday last. Both in our middle 60s. That's good. Miriam, morning PJ. I'm 59. Got an AstraZeneca on the 11th of May. I'm concerned I'll be forgotten as I was put in with the 60 to 69s. Have other 59-year-olds got their second AstraZeneca's. And Burr reminds us that we should not forget in the midst of all this. Thank you, Burr. I wish to praise all of the health services. They're doing the best they can. Many thanks. Rosario is just back from Westport in County Mayo. Place, the places up there seems to charge as you order. And if you order anything extra, they charge you extra. I presume at the end, Rosario. Thank you. Hi, we were in Tremor two weeks ago when our food was ordered. You just paid for it first. Great idea. Craig the trucker was on. Hi, PJ. Nosh and coffee in Balancholic have the perfect system. You get your table, then you go in to order your food and you pay. Very simple, and no walkaways that way. There's a few ideas out there. Indeed, there are. 1850 We've been talking over the last couple of weeks to our Olympians, our Cork Olympians. We've got quite a number of them so far this year, heading off to Japan in the next couple of weeks to take part in the 2020 Olympics in 2021, starting towards the... Uh, end of July, I think, the, I think it's the Friday the 23rd or that way in July. Now, we've never, I love gymnastics, watching gymnastics at the Olympics. It's just great. I can watch it all day, every day. But we don't really usually have much Irish in, inclusion in the Olympics arena, uh, uh, the Olympics gymnastics arena. Now, this year we will have Reese McLenaghan, uh, but he's been joined now by Meg Ryan from Cork and indeed Emma Hamill who's coach and they both of them are from Douglas Gymnastics and they're both with me now. Meg and Emma, good morning. Morning. Hi. Ireland are doing better at gymnastics than they've ever done before, Meg. So you're headed off to the biggest stage on the planet. Yeah, I'm I'm delighted. I'm really happy to be going. You know, it was it was kind of a a long wait for me, so to get that final confirmation was, was really nice. It feels amazing. You'll be taking part in the all-round. That's on Sunday, July 25th, isn't it? Yeah, so I'll be competing the vault, bars, beam and floor, and then all the scores will be added together, so that, that would make the all-round then. What's your favourite one of those? Um, I, w- I would say floor. I think it's you know kind of the one where you get to kind of perform a bit more, um, and I suppose kind of show that you're, you're enjoying yourself as well, so probably floor. How how long have you been doing the gymnastics? When did you start? Um, I've been doing it for a while now. I'd say I started when I was about five, and I'm 19 now, so um, about 14 years. Yeah, yeah. Who's your who's your heroine or hero? Um, you know, I actually don't. I don't think I have like a specific like hero. Like I think 
I look up to a lot of different gymnasts for, you know, different reasons. Everyone has kind of their own different mm. story and stuff. But um, there would be a gymnast who's, you know, she's, I think, like 46 and she's going to Tokyo as well. So wow, that's a huge thing in gymnastics because, you know, a lot of people would, you know, retire early in, in this sport. But um, who, 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 Who's she, Meg? Um, her name is Oksana. Um, and, yeah, she <sighs> she's, she's gone to a few Olympics now, but she's still going, so... Will she be taking part in the same event as you? Yeah, I, I'm not sure if she's also doing all around, but she'd definitely be doing right. you know, vault and maybe a few others as well. How hard was it to qualify? Because the standards for the Olympics are exceptionally high. Yeah, um, well, I qualified through the World Championships in 2019. So that was like the end of September, the start of October in 2019. Um, and... I actually, I don't think I knew going into it that that was a qualification event for the Olympics, which mm. is kind of funny, but I think that, you know, that kind of made it more enjoyable for me. I didn't really find out until afterwards that I had qualified the Olympic reserve spot. But um, I think it was like the top number of athletes from that competition um, instantly qualified. It was, you know, there was teams that qualified through that competition and then there was individual athletes. And then, you know, since then there haven't been a lot more competition like qualifying competitions you know due to COVID and stuff so yeah. um, I suppose it, it kind of made it a bit difficult this year to qualify especially yeah yeah I'll bring in, bring in Emma at this stage because you're, you're Meg's own coach aren't you Emma you're also based in in Douglas when you got the call how, how, how did that feel uh, yeah so like Meg we've been waiting for ages because in 2019 she qualified the first reserve spot but then obviously it was cancelled in 2020 so she, so she had to wait until like last week for the official announcement which is quite a long time so we kind of knew that it would be highly likely but i suppose it's you, you still have to spend a long time waiting um yeah. but it, it was amazing to to know that she had yeah. eventually qualified after all that time it's a sport i personally love to watch on television um but i think you can watch the europeans you can watch the worlds all day long the olympics is just another level isn't it yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a great achievement to be there, and everybody that that goes there, whether it's from the USA, who would be like probably the top competitors, to to any, any other country, they're they're all like super excited to be there, and they're super proud proud to be representing representing their company or their country more so than any other competition. I think it's just it's just it's a it's a massive deal. It's a phenomenal event. The gymnastics is one of my favourite parts of, of, of the of the Olympics and, and it's such the the the, the work, Meg, that some being a little girl to yeah. you know, the dedication and the work and the hours involved. Just t- t- take take me through it. How many days a week, for example, do you practice? Yeah, it's definitely um, a time-consuming sport. Like, I would train, like, five days a week, and at the moment I'd probably be doing, you know, nearly, um, like, 26 hours in the week. Like, I'd, I'd be doing around five, five and a half hours a day uh, most days. So um, it would take up a couple of time, all right, anyway. And is that just routine after routine after routine? Yeah? Yeah, um, at the moment, anyway. You know, it, it would have been kind of in the past few weeks and months, kind of just building up to routines and doing, you know, building up to kind of half routines and then eventually kind of getting into those full routines and kind of just doing repetitions of them and then repetitions yeah. of the individual skills and trying to just get them all, like, as clean as possible, I suppose. Is it a specific routine that you have to do? Do you, do you get do you get much of your own, put your own... You said you love the floor for that reason. You can put a bit more of yourself into it. But say on on, on the, the A-bars, 
Is there a specific set of things you must do to appease the judges? Um, there would be kind of a, a specific kind of requirement of certain skills that have to be included. But I yeah. think um, that's actually one of the good things, I suppose, about gymnastics is that everyone you know, has different routines. Like You wouldn't really see the same routine by most people. It's, mm. it's def- there's a huge like variety of different skills. So you can kind of do your own um, twist on it. There, there are requirements that you have to add in, but every- everything else you can add in your own and try to get up your difficulty as yeah. high as possible. Well, well, good luck to you when it comes. And I, for one, will be watching. I will be watching. I can't wait to see you, 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 you perform. Emma, help me here as a fan. And I have a number of friends who coached uh, at gymnast at one, one in fact, at Olympic level. I can't understand the new scoring system. <laughs> Yeah, so they changed it. So before it used to just be a perfect 10 that you used to get, whereas right. now this, the, the perfect 10 is still there to an extent. So so that's your execution score. So that's good to the 10. So like, let's say if you do a skill with bent legs, that's deducted off it, like point, like flex feet, all of those things are deducted. And then, as Meg was saying, the difficulty score. So all of the skills that you choose to do have a difficulty score. And then that's added on to your execution score. So that's why you're seeing scores now of like 15s and 12s and stuff yeah. as opposed to... Max um, is 15 now, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I think it is, anyway. Uh, you yeah, see, I don't need, sure. I've been trying to figure I it out for like you. <laughs> we, could, we could see maybe some, yeah, some close to 16 scores at this, at this Olympics, wow. really, from, from Mobile. Uh, probably. Standard. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm watching well, both men's and women's gymnastics since the days of Nadia Kamenech. So, you know, it, I, I just I can't wait to sit down and watch it. Meg, good luck to you, girl. And, and, you so and Emma, good luck out there. It's going to be a big, big adventure. And it's great to see Douglas Gymnastics and Cork and Ireland represented at the gymnastics uh, arena in the Olympics. And watch this lad as well, Reese McLennan. He is something special. Uh, watch him on a pommel horse. The guy is incredible on the pommel horse. But it's a year later than that. It'll be huge for all the athletes. And I love the Olympics. I, I really do. And I'll be on my holidays while they're on. So, happy days. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Here's a comment that kind of grinds my gears a little bit. I see what you think. PJ, why should it be such a big deal that the system in the City Hall runs so efficiently? In this day and age, it's only normal. Only we here in Ireland are not used to such a high standard of efficiency in our systems. So we make a big deal and praise them to the nines. Crap. We as a people deserve high standards. Uh, yeah. We do. And you know what? When we get high standards, it is nice. And it is polite to turn around and say, well done. You did a fine job. People thrive on a little bit of praise and a little bit of gratitude. So, yeah, they're doing a fine job. It's working like clockwork down there. You're now up to date on the home of the best music mix, Cork's 96FM. Vic, well done on the Wimbledon names. <laughs> it's never easy, PJ. I did that job for long <laughs> enough, I know, I know. But yeah. come here, I give you a laugh, right? Yeah. This is the time now when Wimbledon's on and... 
they're all out with tennis rackets. Yeah. Do you know, back in the day, yeah. we'd be out with a football during the World Cup or the Euros. Yeah. We'd be out with a hurley and a ball during the All-Ireland. It's a good job we didn't have Love Island in our time. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, back in the day we used to pray that fellas like O'Sullivan and Morphy would get into the tennis. We did. 1850-715-996. PJ, have you any idea what is happening with live music for weddings? With the new updates announced on the 5th, I can have the afters of my wedding at my home with 50 vaccinated guests and I can have music. But I can't have music in a controlled environment like a hotel. That, I, Paul, is still as confused as it was. I heard last night of a wedding being organised in August in a hotel I know well. I played many a wedding there myself uh, as a DJ. They're supposed to have music. I'm not going to name the place. I don't want to get them into trouble. I don't even know. They don't even know whether they're right or wrong themselves. There is huge conf- confusion out there with regard to uh, music and weddings uh, at, in, in hotels. Uh, there is, there is, a con- is confusion. Absolutely. It's in the papers this morning about dog fouling, and it is, and we're about to speak about it shortly. But I have a different issue, says this call. My neighbour has five or six cats, and they constantly foul my garden. I've tried the repellent, but they just seem to have no effect on these cats. They also rest on the flat roof of my extension, and I can't open the window because they jump in if it's open. I've had incidents where this has happened, and I feel they may have gone to the toilet in my house. Help! Any listener solved this? Well, I never have a problem with a cat coming into my house because I love cats. So that's kind of where I'm starting from. But this, oh yeah, they're smell. Oh my god, yeah, cat poo is smelly. Dog poo is dog poo is inconvenient and dirty and mucky and filthy and all those things. But cat poo is just manky, manky. And normally they go and bury it. So if they're going in the middle of your garden, they haven't been properly trained. Because one thing you can do with a cat is you can train it. You can train your cat to go and bury their poo, and it isn't a problem. Well, it is until they start bur- burying it in the window boxes. Ask the Queen Bee about that one, but but that's a pity. Maybe does it, has anyone ever done that? Cats that come in and poo in the garden. Have you ever found a way of getting them out of it? The the seven up bottle, by the way, doesn't work. Never worked. It didn't work. Who? What clown came up with that idea? It doesn't work. I feel for that listener. But let us go to the newspapers. Um, the Echo um, put in a freedom of inf- information request, and which leads to one of its main stories today. Just six fines for dog fouling offences were issued across Cork between January 2020 and the end of May 2021. Now, we have a huge problem, and we've talked about it countless times in this city and county with dog fouling. The Echo got some information under the Freedom of Information Act. Cork City Council didn't issue any dog fouling fines during that 17 months, but Cork County Council issued two dog fouling fines in 2020 and four more in the first five months of 2021. Why so few, Councillor Franco Flynn? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, um and good morning, listeners. 
Why so few fines, Frank? We have a massive problem with dog fouling. Oh, we have a massive problem, and it's getting worse, and especially if I was living with COVID, and if I was post-COVID, more and more people, I'm an avid dog lover. I love dogs. And uh, more and more uh, people now, families have, have, have pets, and was more and more people now are walking. And it's a very, very big issue on our footpaths, in our towns, and the ages towns, on our parks, our playgrounds, mm-hmm. and all our green areas. The big problem, as you, as you know, is this. It's very difficult actually to because um, to, to find someone you must see him in the act and uh, we can can properly counsel and try a number of people to, to follow people around and uh, the big issue i see here is this um, as dog fouling and cat fouling and to maybe tell their assistant and okay we have a big issue in some states where cats nearly take them over take over the states but um in, in in breeding and you name it but definitely owners must take responsibility for their dogs yeah. Section 22 of the Litter Pollution Act of 1997 is quoted in the echo in, in Derla Birmingham's piece and it says the litter warden must actually witness both the dog yeah. doing the do and the person in control of the dog neglecting to remove it that's exactly what I said they must be caught in the act and that's very 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 difficult uh, are, are we going to pay and hire um, to, uh, um, staff from Cockney Council to follow dog owners around in every street and every corner and every footpath? But uh, the big thing is here, uh, signage. Um, some councils are always about signage don't make a difference because, number one, the dogs or the cats can't read signs. And definitely a lot of the owners don't take any notice of them. Even speed signs, they can have all the speed signs in the world. But you know the conditions, you must drive the, drive the road according to the conditions at the time. But definitely dog owners. They must take full responsibility. Families will take responsibility for their children. Now, what facilities does the county council provide, Frank? What facilities does the county council provide to make it easier for people? For example, bins and bags. We do. We provide bins and we provide bags, and we and uh, we also provide quite a lot of signage on our footpaths. And our graveyards, there's always signs of dogs not allowed. We always put up, and okay, um, uh, a person with a disability uh, um, would, and those dogs can uh, mm. can go into graveyards and can go into parks. We open our green areas, open our parks, open our playgrounds, mm. and open all the green and on our footpaths. But definitely, the big issue here, and the listeners, is the dog owners must take responsibility. If you want a dog, you must take full Indeed. responsibility for it. Indeed. And now, that, that legislation is like something out of the Stone Age. I think we're all agreed on that. 1997, you actually must be caught in the act. Is, is the council, or indeed any council around the country, going back to the Department of the Environment or whatever department deals with this and saying, come here, that law is unworkable, can we change it? There's scarcely a month go by, but in Cockney Council and the regional local areas here and the municipal level, we raise it and raise it and raise it. But the big issue coming back, and I support the chief executive in the management, well, their hands are kind of tied. You must catch them in the act. Uh, yeah, no, what I mean is, is there any action been taken by the council to push it up the line? I mean, you're the local council. Can you not push it up well, the line? Is, uh, we've written on numerous occasions to the department, to the environment. We've raised it our department, our own SPC department of the environment. We've also carried out, you could say, campaigns to highlight the issue. Maybe we should do more. But the big issue there, and the message go out loud and clear, yeah. all dog owners, they must, be, and they must take responsibility. If you want a dog, you must take full responsibility. And you can see some dog owners there, and they're all lovely. It's a health, it's a health and safety issue, yes. especially in relation to young children. And there's nothing more. And with shop owners, and their hearts are broke because you put footpaths near them, and especially now coming to the evening, maybe not so much in the, in the long evenings, they walk maybe near to the town, walk in the footpaths because there's lighting there and they feel it's safer. And you know, people walk in the same paths and they go into the local shop. 
shop owners want to be more knowing like about the conditions of the dog fouling, and especially maybe from October onwards, as people walk, uh, as you know, and this was, they walk in the towns and they walk just in the edges of town. Now they're, they're mostly out of the country. But it's one of the biggest issues at the moment. I'd say there's a big increase also in the number of pets that dog that owners now own, and they're probably walking more often, get more time off, and they, they, they exercise them more. But definitely, they, it must fall back on the owner of the dog. We, in this state, we can't be looking after everyone. We can't yeah. do this. We, we can't. We can't tell a person that's the speed you drive it. You shouldn't be. Do we follow them around? Are we going to become in any state? Are we to mind everyone? People have to take full responsibility. And if he holds them, if you have a dog tomorrow morning and you're out walking him, and if he does for some dog poo, you pick it up and you take it home. We have been uh, supplied in many, many towns. We've also the bags, and I see quite a lot of people are responsible, and they will clean up after them. But there's quite a lot of people not doing it. Well, there's a little thing that happens too, Frank, in that Mm -hmm. someone goes out with their dog and they have the bag and the dog does the business and the owner picks up the business and then dumps the bag in someone's garden. Exactly. Exactly. Throw it over the ditch when there's no one listening. It's like the rubbish. Cars go outside the village after getting their chips in their bottle. There's no one in front or back out the window. But um, bring it home. It's, Mm. it's, 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 it's 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 like the litter. If we bring it with you, bring it home. That should be the policy. And, uh, and it don't, it, and it, it don't behoves. Cock uh, County Council, we have enough things to be done. We have enough, we have the roads, we have the footpaths, and uh, we have signage. We have an awful lot of work to do. And we're trying to improve situations now, especially with living with COVID, uh, putting life back into our towns and back into our, our villages. We can't be falling around dog owners morning, noon, and night. And I'd like to see the message go out loud and clear. Maybe as a campaign, maybe from the mayor down, we should highlight, highlight the issues. And I, I personally feel maybe some dog owners, a lot of dog owners are doing exactly what they should do. But not all dog owners are doing. And there's nothing worse than young children and young poo and, and the footpad and, and children. Are it's highly dangerous. unpleasant. It is, it is highly dangerous. Frank, going to leave it there. Thanks very much. That's Councillor Frank O'Flynn, Fianna Fáil Councillor for the Formoy area. This rule, this law though, dates back to 1997. So, and by, oh yeah, we of course have in city council, we have a committee. There is a dog, I kid you not, we've discussed it before. There is a dog fouling committee on city council. Yes, a committee whose sole job it is to talk shite. This is, that's their sole job. And still no fines were issued by Cork City Council. But to be fair, the, the, the law is daft. It's like something that Charlie Chaplin, actually, the law. Under Section 22 of the Litter Pollution Act of 1997, the litter warden must actually witness both the dog depositing and the person in control of the dog neglecting to remove. Unless you're caught in the act... Nothing much they can do about it. Now, there was another interesting element to the FOI that the ECHO put in, that the County Council issued 206 litter fines in 2020 and 63 litter fines in the first five months of 2021. 179 of them have been paid. 90 of them remain outstanding. Cork City Council issued 1,180 litter fines and uh, uh, quite a number remain unpaid but did I read I did read a story 
about a woman, and I think this is ridiculous, I have to say. This is bonkers. A woman whose wheelie bin was was a bit full, and the wheelie bin was half open, and she got fined for that. Like, that is ridiculous. I'm sorry. There is no justification for fining someone because their wheelie bin is a small bit full. But yes, we have a committee of the City Council. We've had it for a number of years. A dog fouling committee. A committee of the council actually paid to talk shite. It's great, isn't it? Tom says people should realise how antisocial this is. I was saw a man put down his bag waiting for a bus didn't realise someone else had walked in dog mess and then there was traces of it at the bus stop and when he put down the bag the local authorities should really regard it as their job to tear up areas by doing campaigns of enforcement to break the pattern because you get used to bagging the mess it tends to be your behaviour Charles Lindbergh said if you want to buy the Atlantic or if you want to fly the Atlantic you build a plane if you don't, you form a committee. There's a certain amount to be said for it. On the cats, I hate to say it, but this works. If you spread the weight, if you spread the waste of a predator in a garden, you get rid of any problems. Indeed, if you spread the waste of a lion, apparently it gets rid of almost anyone. Do not ask me how an Irish animal knows to be wary of a lion, though. Predator P is your only man. I'm worried by that call, lads. I am worried. I'm thinking... <laughs> because there are people desperate enough. I'm thinking someone is going to start driving down to Photo Wildlife Park asking to buy a couple of kilos of lion crap <laughs> to keep the dogs or cats out of their garden. Don't tell me it couldn't happen. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure you're with me every weekday on the big drive home for the biggest showbiz interviews. I heard with Sam Smith wearing a Beyonce wig. I've got the competition that is guaranteed to have you shouting at the radio the one second song. Ah, no. <laughs> for all that's happening in Cork, the biggest tunes and a bit of crack in the evening, you know what to do. Join me weekdays from four. The big drive home. Let's go business with Ford Lease. Hassle-free vehicle leasing. Search Ford Lease to find out more. The big drive home. On Cork's 96 FM. Some news coming in from New Zealand, um, where Jacinda Ardern gives her daily or every couple of days anyway she gives a press conference on COVID policy and she has said we're not going to be doing that Britain thing here they're not going to be uh, opening up like Britain or taking risks like Britain and they've got the best record in the world for COVID uh, in New Zealand I have the audio from that press conference I'll, I'll give it a twist there in a little while but she's protecting her country and life is normal there yeah it's hard to get in and out but when you're in, life is normal. And she has been looking at the UK this morning and kind of saying, aren't they crazy? 1850-715-996. Loads of stuff on dog fouling. Um, and I'll come back to them. But there's a proposal to go to Cabinet now for over-the-shop accommodation. That to stop 
buildings in the city centre becoming derelict. Generally, they tend to become derelict from the top down because you've got a business on the ground floor, which obviously is maintained. But above it, you might have one or maybe two floors that just tend to fall into dereliction. And one of the ways you could stop that is maybe let people live over their own shop or maybe rent out accommodation on the floors above. It does two things. First of all, it stops buildings becoming derelict and it puts more homes out there for people to move into. It is not a new idea because here in Cork we had that idea. It's a while ago now, isn't it, Councillor Dan Boyle of the Green Party? But we did it and we then stopped doing it. Good morning. Morning, PJ. Yeah, I, I suppose it's 25 years ago since uh, living over the shop uh, started in uh, North Main Street. Uh, I, I don't think it was any efforts in Cork that uh, it was an experiment or it failed. Uh, it was just the fact that the supports that were needed weren't kept up. Uh, and, Could you uh, get a little closer to your mouthpiece there, Dan, please? Oh, sorry, is that better? Much better, yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, I, I was just saying that uh, it wasn't so much an experiment that has failed, but the, the supports that are, have been needed have been kept up. Uh, and I, I think part of the problem has been that we've put too much of an emphasis on uh, on tax credits, for instance, and, and, and cutting tax bills for people involved in these situations, whereas sometimes it needs more direct subvention in, in terms of grants, for instance, uh, mm-hmm. to maintain buildings and to bring them up to spec. Uh, and I'd be interested to see what the minister has to say, uh, because it's, it's a, an ongoing problem, but it's also a great opportunity to... Uh, and have buildings used uh, for accommodation, have more people living in the city centre. It is the case, is it not, Dan, that buildings tend to a derelict from the top down because there's activity on the ground floor, maybe the first floor with an office, but it's up above. Places are left untouched for years. It is. I mean, in Cork City Centre, for instance, you're talking about mainly four-storey buildings, uh, that there's a ground floor unit, that maybe the first floor is used for storing materials or whatever, but the, the third and the fourth storeys are, are, tend to be empty. Uh, and, and particularly the roofs of these buildings uh, are, are, are the ones that are essential for its upkeep, and, and they're the ones that uh, tend to get maintained less uh, and where the damage occurs first, and, and it, it starts becoming derelict from the top down. The Minister, Peter Burke, was in Cork the last couple of days uh, and and he's interested in this idea to bring it to Cabinet that maybe we could put some... What what would enhance people, do you think, to either live over their own shop or, or maybe rent out the top couple of floors of their building? Well, I, I think there are a number of measures that need to be taken. Uh, one is incentives for the people who own the buildings, incentives for people who would take up accommodation in those buildings, and the third is to look at how regulations can be changed to make it a bit more easy. Uh, for instance, there's an ongoing problem in terms of uh, separate accesses and, and fire escapes for uh, buildings that have different uses, uh, both accommodation and retail. Yeah. It would be a lot that. more difficult yeah. from a health and safety point of view to do it now than it would have been back in, say, 20-something years ago. Uh, well, I, I think there have been some technological changes that, that we could look at it a bit differently, uh, and, and certainly the, the the need to have shared space and to use it more appropriately is something that legislation can address properly. But I think it's also fair to say that there are empty buildings in the city centre where planning pl- uh, applications have gone in recently, where uh, they're, they're very much adopting this. Uh, there's an old AIB branch uh, near Durham Square and Patrick Street where they want to put in apartments, Finn's Corner, uh, where they want to put in apartments and have retail units on the gra- ground floor. E- even outside the city centre, the, the, the Evergreen Bar uh, on Evergreen Road, which uh, mm. yeah, w- w- we miss as a place to meet, but Turner's Cross doesn't lack for, for, for bars uh, or pubs, uh, and uh, it's going to turn into a number of apartments. Uh, mm. so I saw that. I saw that poster up, and I thought, that's not a bad idea. 
No, no, I, I think it's about using the space and the buildings we have and, and trying to get mm. the best value out of them. So, so uh, how do we make more of it happen, Dan? We, we can't just say, right, well, here's how... You need to incentivize people to do yeah, this, Yeah, and, and, and I, I think we've done it far too much for the taxation system. Uh, and what we need to do is... is uh, for instance, we give uh, rent assistance for people in um, uh, in private rented accommodation, and we give direct payments, and that's a huge cost to the state. But they can be structured in such a way that uh, particular incentives are given to particular people in particular situations. Uh, and if we're making better uses of buildings, and if we're bringing more of a population into inner city areas, then I, I think we should be structuring grants and, and payments on that basis as well. Uh, kind of a special fund uh, that we, we uh, have policy goals uh, that result in good outcomes. Uh, and it, it means thinking outside the box and it needs having a bit of more clarity in our policy approaches. Mm. But I think it can be done. When you look down here from where I am and my perch up over Patrick Street, I'm thinking there must be loads of space down there that could be lived in. Uh, in the city centre island, certainly there can be. I mean, you're, you're talking about, for the most part, the third and fourth and, and largely the second story and uh, of most every building on the city centre island not being productively used. Uh, and thousands of people can live in that space. And, and it has a... a, a, a it has a great impact not only in terms of bringing life to the city centre, it gives uh, an added economic boost to the businesses that are already operating out of there. And I think the city development plan will certainly try to point us in that direction. It could also create a ton of jobs in refurbishing and adapting these places for habitation. Well, I, I, I think this is something that's uh, really being forgotten about or pushed to one side. I mean... The number of empty properties in Ireland at the moment is 200,000 properties. That's scary. Uh, and and that's, that's about five years' worth of new houses that we want to build just to meet the demand that exists for housing. Uh, if, if we were to change the focus and try to bring into commission a lot of the empty properties that are available, we, we wouldn't need as much new build. And, and we'd certainly be training people for skills in terms of construction uh, that uh, w- would have a, a greater benefit because the, there'll be quicker return on, on both the buildings being available and people being able to use them. Dan, before I let you go, I can see my screen filling up here with dog fouling complaints. The FOI that the ECHO did showed there were no fines issued by Cork City Council over the 17-month period. That's a law that needs to be seriously looked at, doesn't it? That you, know, you can only find someone over dog fouling if you actually catch them and their dog in the act. So you can't possibly enforce a law that's like that, that's that old. It is very difficult, uh, and, and there's very few prosecutions uh, or even attempts at prosecutions nationally. Uh, I know there are some innovative approaches that have been tried. Uh, I, I think it's from a, a UK local authority that some communities are talking about uh, spraying uh, and, and, and colouring uh, the uh, dog poo in, in, in a sense that uh, it might help in terms of identification. Uh, but uh, we have to look at different methods uh, and... Uh, it, it, the, the laws we have are, are too weak um, and we, we also have to look at the other side of things I think we have to look at spaces where um, I, I know there are a number of people in the city are looking for allocated space in a, in a city centre park which, dog parks dog, yeah. yeah and things like that 
So, it, it, again, these things aren't uh, solved simply. They're, they're multifaceted, and we have to put two or three things in play before we can start seeing different behaviour and, and, and changes of effect. Mm. Uh, Would you agree, though, Franco Flynn from the County Councils, aren't we there? Uh, and he's very strong that this is personal responsibility. Take your own dog poo home. Yeah, ultimately it is. It is. Uh, uh, there is a slight problem, though, in the sense that even those who... Uh, are, are being responsible and uh, may they find themselves uh, carrying the plastic bags quite long distances. So there, there is some responsibility on local authorities to have uh, some level of bins in available this, yeah. in, in, in most obvious places. But ultimately, it is the personal responsibility. Thank you, Dan, Councillor Dan Boyle of the Green Party. Living over a shop. I mean, can you look again, look down at Patrick Street now. And as he said, the whole city island that there are second and third and fourth floor premises there haven't been lived in for yonks. Like, how many people could we house? How many places could we rent out? Without building big, huge apartment blocks. There's probably thousands of people could live, hundreds anyway, on our centre island. 1850-715-996. On the dog fouling between North Mon and St. Vincent's, that's St. Mary's Road, has to be the worst place in Ireland for dog fouling. And it's a crying shame because kids aren't as aware of the dangers. I don't know how the people who do this could sleep at night if a child got blind from some parasite or other. And there is a parasite that is in an awful lot of doggy do. It's called Toxicara canis and it is an awful thing that lives in dog poo and, and it's very, very dangerous. So that's a good call. Thanks. Maeve says, I saw a woman last night with a Bichon doing a poo, and she just walked on. I handed her a poo bag, and she wasn't happy about it. Good girl, Maeve, well done. Uh, This man is talking truth, referring to Councillor Franco Flynn. The council needs to take responsibility and become more efficient in their work. Dog fouling committee, are you joking? No, there is a dog fouling committee. I won't get away with saying what I said three times in one day, but you know what I'm getting at. Paul says, if the litter warden patrolled areas where dogs are walked... But you see, that's just the point, Paul. You have to be caught in the act to do it. You see, that's the thing. Uh, Good morning. Tell the listener who has problems with the cats to try orange peels or coffee grinds. Then your orange, your garden is littered with orange peels and coffee grinds. (laughs) See? Uh, Dog fouling. Higher fines and bins and dog wardens. We've been through it on the fines. That law is almost unenforceable. Councillor John Maher is writing to the Minister to look at national legislation following a motion I submitted asking to find people who are not carrying a dog poo bag. We must do more as a council. There's an idea. There's an idea from Councillor John Maher. So I'm out walking my dog on the lead, as I do. And a warden or a council official said, Oh, hello there. Can I see your poo bag? that you have for the dog, in case he decides to, you know, commune with nature while you're out, as they do. And I don't have one. Uh, then John Maher says I should be fined for not having me dog poo bag. Maybe he's got a point. <laughs> Although Terry says he forgot his dog poo bag one time and had to stand up. Terry, I'm sorry, I can see you doing it. I can actually see you doing it. You just stand over the poo and wait 
for another dog walker to ask for a bag. <laughs> oh, Terry, I can see you doing it. 1850-715-996. Yes, let's look at that thing that they've done in New Zealand. This was uh, Jacinda Ardern's latest daily press conference. This audio lasts about a minute nod. Um, she, it was brought up to her about what's happening in the UK with their idea to let's open up now because if we don't open up now, when are we going to open this whole living with COVID idea? Bearing in mind that in New Zealand, they have very little restriction day to day. You can't get in or get out of the place for love or money unless you're a citizen or there's many, many restrictions on getting in and getting out of the place. But they've got a very, very ordinary way of living over there. I remember speaking to a woman um, who lived in Cork now, was over there for many years, and she said, life is, life is pretty ordinary, pretty normal, unless, of course, you get a case and then they slam the whole place down for five days. But here's what Jacinda Ardern said at her press conference today. So different countries are taking different choices. Uh, at the moment, I'd say our thinking has been, uh, let's continue on a path that preserves as many options for New Zealand as possible, particularly as we see variants emerging. Um, variants do pose a new risk. And we have to keep seeing what effect variants have on vaccination programs. So New Zealand has always been in the position where thankfully we've been able to make the decisions we have and pick the path that we travel down, having watched and seen what other countries have done often first. That has proved to be of real benefit to New Zealand. So we will continue to watch and observe. Do you ever accept having a bit of hope in the country? But even if, if we had a high vaccination rate, but there was still going to be some people who are, for whatever reason, not vaccinated. As we consider these issues and these options, priority for me is how do we continue to preserve what New Zealand has managed to gain and give ourselves options because this virus is not done with the world yet. There you go. And that's exactly what Mike Ryan from the WHO said in the last couple of days. This is not over. In fact, for some parts of the world, this is only beginning. But there's Jacinda Ardern. We'll do it our way, thank you very much. And so far, doing it their way is working for them. Brilliantly. 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. Uh, PJ, I live on the same road that your mother lives on. Okay. I've seen people pull up near the school gates, the back of the houses, and let their dogs out to do the business. Then off they go. They don't pick it up. Yeah, happens all over the place. There's no school on my mother's road, but that's beside the point. I think you've know where you're going. One very simple way to encourage the use of overhead floors of shops charge rates as if they were earning the going rate for private rent. That would be quite a penny. You mean charging for the whole building? Mm. On car insurance, since I was 16 we've been robbed by these insurance companies. Driver's licenses are compulsory responsibility of government. Car tax is compulsory responsibility of government. Why can't the government take control of car insurance too? Which is an idea that was discussed years ago. Uh, I, I think there are parts of the world where this happens. I may be wrong. 
So don't be ringing me up to say you're wrong. I may be. But I think there are parts of the world where the basic requirement for insurance, you buy from the state. So you have to have third-party fire and theft. You must have that. You buy that from the state, from a state agency, say. Then the rest of the insurance companies compete for your comprehensive. They compete for your windscreen. They compete for everything else. But the third-party fire and theft you buy essentially from the state. I think that happens somewhere. I think all of you a good idea because it keeps. It means that to get you, then they've got to make it worth their while to to attract you to their business. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I can't believe the, the the fun bus, as they call it in y'all, is going ten years. I remember when they launched it. Michael Beecher. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Tell people about the all fun bus because it's the coolest idea in East Cork. <laughs> well, it's actually the all community bus, but uh, we the people that are uh, involved in, uh, and uh, the members mm. who are actually they pay towards the the upkeep of the bus, and uh, so the crack is just ninety inside the bus. So hence we call it the fun, the fun bus. Yeah, go back and tell me the history and get a bit closer to that phone if you could, please. Oh, yeah, tell me, sorry, yeah. You're right. Of course. That, um, yeah, look, it started uh, back 10 years ago. Uh, Tony Phelan there, he was the, uh, came up with the idea. I was in the council myself. I was a town councillor at, at the time. And uh, so with, with y'all being, it's all hill and uphill and downdale. And, um, and, of course, the estates are all up on top of the hills as well. And uh, people getting aged and people with disabilities. So we said, look, would, would it be a good idea? So... Um, hence, it's still up and running. Thank God. So, know? how does it how does it work? Do people pay, pay a sub, or do you just is it free or what? Yeah, well, actually, no. Uh, people contribute towards the upkeep of the bus. So, in other words, they they pay three euro one way and to be a fiver return. But the money is is the bus itself is non profitable. So, like it goes to the upkeep of the bus. We also get a lot of sponsorship. From the businesses in town, uh, Cork County Council, the Credit Union, um, the Lottery, and uh, and Tuse and, and um, Community Development, they all help help out uh, in the we'd say the, the costings. If we were to pay for drivers and and assistance, uh, the bus certainly wouldn't wouldn't survive. And does it work along a particular route, Michael, or is it a question of who needs a lift where today? Yeah, correct. Yeah, like there's a little phone number. We have a little phone there, and the assistant takes take down the phone numbers, and we take down the address. We pick them up at their home, bring them straight down to do it. We say to go shopping or to their doctor's appointment, or even to meet up with a friend for a cup of coffee in it. And we collect them then afterwards. If they have shopping, we bring them right into the house for them. So like, um, so it's a great service, and uh, and I keep on, and I'm delighted to. Pr- that you're given this opportunity to highlight the community bus because if people don't use it, we lose it. You know, yeah. so that's uh, and, that's and is it busy, Michael? Is it, it busy? Is, well, it, it, it actually the COVID unfortunately uh, it has hit everybody, including ourselves. So we had to wait to park it up uh, during the lockdown, naturally. But we brought it out in December just to see, uh, especially around Christmas time, and of course the elderly people were literally afraid to come out their houses. Yeah. So that was that was actually um, uh, a flop. But look, we, we tried it anyway. So, But uh, we went back, we're, after, we're actually back, up wheels on the road uh, since the, month, the, um, the start of June. 
and uh, and it's people are picking up. And I, what I've also noticed is uh, elderly people are starting to come out now that they're vaccinated and they're, they're more uh, they're more at ease. Good. Now the the bus itself then just um, is a fourteen seater, so it's five seats. We we leave in people at a time. Yes, we we assist them on the bus and off the bus, especially if they're elderly. Um, and as I said, the uh, we have a sanitised station also in the in the bus. And sure. I'm just you're all that, you're all sorted. Well, all set up absolutely. So to make sure that people uh, to let them know that the bus is safe to use. You know, no, I'm not uh, saying that all the buses are not safe. We all have of to course, comply. Of course. We have to comply with um, with the regulations and rightly so too. You know, for everybody's safety. Yeah. Now you unfortunately lost one of your one of your stalwarts very suddenly during the pandemic. Very much so. Like it was actually uh, in May, and we couldn't believe it. Uh, a young lady, Leslie Conlan, uh, she was uh, a, a Trojan worker. She was actually running the whole show, and like, um, and I was on. The, I'm actually on the the, 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 pre, the very first committee, and now I'm chairman myself. And uh, since uh, Leslie passed, uh, which was so sad, uh, everybody said, "Oh, that's the community boss gone," you know. So I was handed it then the the option of uh, keep it going and I said while I breath in me I'll keep this, uh, the bus going so we've, I've actually found a very very strong committee thank God um, I, I could remind me to mention them now too, because it's only right to as mention them as long as there's not 40 of them like go on no no no, <laughs> no there's only a handful um, myself at this chair uh, John Phillips is secretary Tommy Collins he be on the local radio here in New Orleans ah, so you yeah. know Tommy yeah, he's our treasurer, a good man with the, to keep an eye on the old coppers on us. Uza Hogan, she's a driver, and Tony Fielding, the founder, he's also, and Pat Carey, and Mary Lennon Foley's also uh, coming on board uh, from September onwards, our, our previous mayor, which is great, and, and Bridget Smitty. So that, that's our... That's our uh, well, well, long may it continue. I, I wonder yeah. if there's any other wonderful systems like that. But congratulations on, on 10 years and, and long may it continue because it's a wonderful idea. Michael Beecher uh, from the Yall Community Bus, or as they call it locally, the Fun Bus. Such a lovely, simple idea for the town of y'all and congratulations on 10 years you're all superstars there's always someone who knows I was guessing I had half notion it happens somewhere there is always someone who knows the state organising third party insurance PJ is Australia and over time it makes a profit and that profit can be put into say the health system you see those fine buildings and those fine salaries in the insurance companies here well you're paying for that that's it. So there's a lot they get right in Australia, uh, COVID-19 being one of them, uh, with their current glitches, which we'll find out more about, I guess, over the coming days. But in terms of insurance, they've got that system. The state supplies the essential and everybody else then goes into commission for your book. Uh, on John Maher's idea, that you'll be fined if you don't have poo bags, uh, tell him I used my own poo bags and disposed of them correctly. There's always someone who wants to beat the system, isn't there? But I can see where they'd have to take that into account. What about the people then who go for a walk and don't use a lead with the dog? The dog walks behind them, so they see nothing. It really annoys me. Yeah, and taking your dog out without them on a lead in a public place is an offence anyway. You're not supposed to do that. It's, it's, um, it's dangerous to see. 
the very, very least. All right, that's it. Uh, the programme today edited for the last time by Terry Brennan. Uh, he, he leaves us today for, for what you might call pastures new outside the world of either radio or television. He's working a nine to five, I'd say, for the first time in his life. But the best of luck in your new venture. It has been a pleasure. It has been fun. Um, the scars will fade. I promise you that. And I hope you'll still be a listener. And of course, produced and researched, as always, by the, the inimitable Fergal Barry. We'll talk to you tomorrow, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.